Off the Groove with Scotty Dubler. Friday, August 6th, 2021, episode number 197. 197 is amazing. I was trying to think of something cool to knock it out of the park, but 196 last week just worked out perfect with yeah. Alec Muth, with the Charlotte Canes Memorial, um, and and also we talked about Kyle McGrain too. So that just was perfect. 197, uh, I think there was a kid from Iowa, Cody Kent, ran in 197 for a little bit. I don't know how you do like it. That. So, anyway, so just pulling things out of my air. I don't like the three digits. Maybe when we start over, we might have to start going back to the, you know, the, like when we get to 201, I might start talking about the one maybe or something. Maybe. I don't know. We'll figure that out. One, nine, seven. They don't all have to be related Ooh. in numbers too, whatever you say. Like Bazinga wasn't a number. I know, I know, but I'm a numbers guy. You know that. I do know that. Guy. I do know that. What the hell are you up to? What's going on? How you been? Nothing. I got, got my hair cut. Didn't do a whole lot uh, this last couple of days. That's I got exactly what you were supposed to do. Nothing. I got home. Listen, I got home from Ohio. I drove 14 hours straight. Yeah. I stopped three times. Uh, gas, food, and, and potty. <laughs> Anyways, and I, potty. I probably did all that in, in each one of the stops. Yeah. And then... Uh, I slept for 13 hours straight shortly after I got home. (laughs) That was nice. I don't know if I have or ever could sleep over 10 hours straight. I just don't think I could do it. That's why I look so young. You know, I'm only, I'm I'm really 60, but I look like I'm about 28. I've been up for like almost three days straight at one point, but I can only sleep for seven or eight. All the time. No. Time. Listen, if, if our listeners, anytime you get on Instagram, whether it's 2 a.m., 4 a.m., or 10 p.m., this guy, this guy right here is always online. What are you I swear talking about? God. I, I'll, sh- I'll prove it to you. Next time I'm up in the middle of the night, and I'll open up my phone to Instagram, and you'll you'll be showing online. It's I probably because like I have a device logged in that's on somewhere. I'm not like literally no, on no, my phone. No, there's no way. There's no way. There's no way. Um, nope. Nope. There's nope. got to be a way. When, when, you, when your screen goes to lock, that's it. It kicks you off. So you're you're up 24-7, <laughs> seven days a week. I swear to God. I am Instagram. Team no sleep. Team no Carter. sleep. That's me for sure. I definitely, anyway. you'd, be, you'd be proud of me. I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually getting more sleep these days than I have in the past. You're not stressing out about your that old job you don't have anymore. No, but I'm, I got new stresses trying to find the new one. So Trying to find new jail. There's always exactly. stress, but it's all good. Berg. Cody Kent. That's right. Oh, that's oh, right. Shit. I thought he was from Iowa. That is, that is correct. Cody Kent is from Galesburg, Illinois. That's my fault. I, I was thinking Iowa, but Tracy he was Jones. One ninety-seven. Tracy Jones. Knows Tracy Jones. Illinois, keep, Illinois keep me in my toes over there. Yeah, thanks he, to our patrons. He, Tim's checking in. He make, he uh, mentioned that he wanted you to sign his number plate. Good news, Tracy. We're both going to sign the number plates. Boom. So the number plates, the number plates have arrived here. They have arrived. Yeah. They're going to travel to New York and they're going to get signed by Carter and Hollywood. And then they're going to be shipped. So here's the question. Do you want, what color? You want gold? Or you want silver? Or are we signing them in two different colors? Hmm. You gold, I'm silver. All right. I'm in the first place. You're second. Yeah. Is that what that means? Yeah. <laughs> Not really or we can right. do it well, or we can do what those two olympians did that was so beautiful and share the gold gold didn't you see somebody did that yeah there you go yeah yep. two dudes gold. like won a medal and shared gold what do you think about that that's fine you think that you could share a medal My in marker? the olympics ooh, ooh. you know what it's an interesting I question so. i think i think i think i could i think 
you know, if, if, if there was a tie for some reason, I think I could. I think, you know, mm. all these athletes train so hard to be there. I completely agree. And I'm all about, you know, sharing is caring. I think it's a great moment. Awesome, whatever. I don't think there's anything bad about that. But me, if I trained my right. entire life to go <laughs> play a damn game and it ended in a tie, yeah. hell no. Yeah. Hell no. Hell okay. no. And see, I'm, I'm the opposite because I'm an only child and I don't share nothing. You can ask all my cousins... I don't share nothing, nothing. I, I share care. everything too much, but, 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 but for that particular instance, I would share my gold medal. Fair enough. That you guys think, think about Carter, that person trained just as hard as you did. You're not wrong, but anyway, yeah. All right. Interesting. I Interesting. Interesting. All right. All right. So, so what last, last weekend? Yes. I was all over the place Thursday night. I did the, uh, Let's see, was it the Pro National TT at the Grove? So yeah. it was in Union Grove, uh, Wisconsin. Drove from up here, left uh, Tuesday night, stopped by a Harley Davidson dealer on Wednesday, went the rest of the way, got up there, did the TT. It was at a county fair, a humongous, beautiful grandstand, pretty full of people, and uh, a, a really neat TT. There was a tractor pull there the night before. It was in between two barricades, a long front straightaway, two different lines on the back straightaway. One of them had a, a little zig in it a little single and then a tabletop. The other one had a roller and then a double. Mm. And then they met after that. So it's kind of crazy. Uh, there's some fast, really fast quad riders up there and, and some fast guys from my hometown, Sioux Falls, South Dakota were there nice. and kicked ass. I'm going to say that they kicked ass. They I want to see some they quads. Were flying. You know, on the right track at the right time, they're awesome. They put down rubber and it helps. Yeah. Sometimes they get so spread out, they're kind of boring, but a tight track like that, or even if you get up to Sioux Falls, uh, at the, the track there in Renner, mm. they've got a beautiful TT track there. So um, on the right track, it's great. Yeah. Some try, sometimes it's boring, but you know, same way, same with motorcycles though. So I'm not knocking quads. I think quads are are useful in a lot of instances, and they put on the best race of the night up there uh, in Union Grove. Uh, the uh, the pro bikes. There's yeah. only five, so they kind of put on a little bit of a show. Billy Ross ended up winning it. Dave Kilkenny. Uh, Super Dave is that's his new nickname. I so love people, it. Super Dave. People, people used up there call him Dirty Dave. He I like told that me too. Uh, uh, he told me uh, somewhere that he doesn't like that. So yeah. <laughs> he's no longer Dirty Dave to me. He's Super Dave. And I think Super Dave Osborne, you know, I love from the late show oh, or the, yeah. Dave Letterman or whatever. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so Super Dave was up there, got second. Jeffrey Carver was up there. Uh, Morgan Mitchell was there. And then there was a local guy. I didn't really know much about that guy. So there's only five bikes, but they put on a good show. Billy Ross kind of walked away with it. Uh, everybody else was just battling for a second, third, and fourth. But it was it was really fun. Uh, Friday, bike Saturday night, Lower City, Ohio. Hmm. Uh, first time bikes have been there in a super long time. I don't think anything been around that track other than horses in at least 10 years. Nice. So the track was a little bit, need a little bit of help. I think if they if they go back again, they'll have to dig it up a lot deeper and, and start from scratch, and, you know, because Steve Nace said he's been watering it for three days, and it just, it got hard. It never grooved up, so it was interesting. Uh, a lot of folks showed up for that one, too. So, uh, anyway, all in all, good week, and then I made the trip back home. Nice. It's always a challenge with those new ones that you haven't been to in a while to try to figure out how the dirt's going to perform or not perform. Well. Oh, yeah. Tell us about the trophy. I want to hear the trophy so, story. I'll, I'll do a short version of the trophy story. So this gentleman that's right nearby makes this trophy. If, you have, if you're a patron, you can see it on our screen. But if you're not, for you folks listening at home, we did post it on Left Out. But yeah. it's a piston. He, makes, he puts eyes in here, and it kind of looks like a skull. It's got a mouth right here, but it's, it's on the rod. 
Still has the timing gear and a chain down here, and it puts uh, who who made it? Morgan's Morgan's Garage made it. So, awesome. anyways, and it's signed by the winner, Trent Lowe. Trent cleaned house up there. He won the singles class. He won the twins class. We did two dash for cashes. He won both of those, and then one, you know, won the mains, won the heat. Won, it was a clean house. Heats dash mains in both classes. So, congratulations to Trent. And our guest coming up in just a few moments got second in the dash and second on the twins. So nice. uh, not going to give that away. If you folks know, you know, but you you probably already know who it is. So we'll talk to him in just a moment. But they always uh, see all the in picture. all, had a great, great weekend. Awesome. A great weekend. I love it. Um, awesome. That's good stuff. And Welland, I heard they raced in Welland this past weekend or recently. Did they not? Was that right? Yeah, they did. Yep, yep. Welland, Welland ran, and actually they put it on like FS2 or something like a, uh, something like that up really? there. Uh, the announcer up there actually interviewed me and, and did a little story on his little blog, and uh, he's been messaging me a lot. His name's Todd. He's been messaging me a lot on Instagram, so it's cool to, to get the Canadian flavor up there. Uh, said it went really well. Uh, Doug Fresh, Dougie Lawrence, ran the bottom of the racetrack, but uh, didn't look very good. He said he got he got spanked. Nice. And uh, We're not I'm nice. pretty sure Hunter ba- Hunter Bauer took the win, but uh, that's yeah. good. That's the kid that's, that he's helping out. So that's really cool. That's good stuff. Yeah, I can't wait to uh, for those borders to open up so we can go get some uh, Canadian racing up there. I can't wait. Yeah. I, I Welland is on my bucket list, and now now now. Now even more than ever because my girlfriend lives right I there bet. in Welland, so That's good stuff. the Niagara Falls region. I can't wait to go up there and check it out. Well, you want to get into this week's episode? I can't wait. This one, this one. I've been talking to this kid. Uh, I call him a kid. He's he's getting ready to have a birthday on Sunday. Oh yeah, he'll be twenty four. He'll be twenty four. He's twenty three right now. So in my book, he's still a kid. Yeah, I know he's not a, a young kid, but he's he's very intelligent. Uh, he's been making a lot of wheels for a lot of the teams out there, a lot of the riders on the on the American Flat Track Series, and he's super, super busy, but he's super smart. What has impressed me the most, Carter, is his interviews, both at Ashland, Ohio, for Steve Nace race, and then this last week at Lore City, Ohio. He's very articulate. He explained exactly what happened. Uh, he had brake failure both times, but both of them were not his fault, mm. believe it or not. So, so it... I've got to get into it with him and, and hear, let him explain what happened to the brakes. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's pretty crazy. I love it. Um, yeah, and I've definitely heard the name, but more so for the wheels as of recent because of the, the um, rules changes here. So it'd be interesting to get his take on that. And and sounds like he's been finishing, uh, having some pretty good finishes here as of late. So that's uh, definitely yeah, enough and, to talk and, about for sure. And he's ran the last four uh, AFT races. I'm not sure how many more of the races he's going to run because he's so busy building wheels right uh-huh. now. But and his girlfriend, his girlfriend races in the Royal Enfield class too. So oh, that's nice. even a, a, another reason for him to go to the races. So Hell yeah, uh, I know she, I know she'll be up there in New York. So I'm assuming he'll be racing at New York as well. Good stuff. So let's get into it. Let's call him up. Let's figure it out. Jeffrey Lowry, ladies and gentlemen. You messed up. You said we don't call nobody no more. What? Oh, you said let's call him up. I'll cut that Ah. out. I edit it. It's all good. Hello? 223, Jeffrey Lowry. What's happening? Scotty Dubler. How's it going? (laughs) It is good. Hey, you know what I just realized when I was doing my my research for this? I just realized that Sunday is your birthday, dude. So happy early birthday. Yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. The, the right ripe old age of 24. That's what I was just getting ready to say, dude. You read my mind. So <laughs> 24 years old, man. Oh, to be 24 again. I don't, that's, that's half my age. Holy crap. I'm old. <laughs> man. I'm flying. 
I guess so. Before we before we get into what happened last weekend and stuff like that, and and, and we we hung out last weekend a little bit. You put on a heck of a show with no breaks. I want to talk about that a little bit more. The second time this year you've done that, but I want to go way back and let's let our listeners know a little bit more about you. So, uh, you know, let's go way back. Where were you born? Yeah, so I was born in St. Louisville, Ohio. Uh, it's small town, central Ohio, kind of small town USA at its finest. Um, but yeah, way out in the sticks. And I have a pretty similar backstory as far as the racing is probably probably a lot of your guests as far as I got a PW50 at three years old and started racing at four and really just loved it right off the bat. And um, I'm a third generation motorcycle racing machinist. So, so wow. motorcycles. And- <laughs> you, you, ta- you taught me right there. I have to stop you because you taught me. I'm a third generation flat tracker, but I don't have that little extra word at the end called machinist. So, dude, I'm impressed. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it, it definitely runs in the blood. My my grandpa raced flat track way back in the day. Um, and then my grandpa and Kenny Weimer owned the bike that Scott Stump won the 883 National Championship with. Uh, no way. Back in the early 90s. Yeah, so, so family goes way back um, in flat track. And my dad raced a little flat track, but he was more of a woods racer. And it's funny because he's not real fond of actually riding flat track and i'm not real fond of riding in the woods so um, <laughs> that's but, awesome yeah so i got a pw at three years old and um started racing at four as any true ohio cushion rider would be my very first race was on a cushion half mile um, so that was always my, my favorite style of track and, and the most common track that we raced around here were, were cushion half miles. So I, my first trip to the amateur nationals was on a Cobra 50 back in like 2004, I think. Um, and essentially we, we, you know, ran the regional nationals and, and the big race every year was the amateur nationals for us. And, uh, on a 50, on a 65, on an 85, on a 250, and on 450s, I won the overall national championship um, for that class, and then won the um, Fast Brain Award, the Youth Rider of the Year, and the Horizon Award to go along with it. So, dude, so my um, that's impressive. my amateur career was uh, was something to something to be proud of, and. Um, yeah, I, my, coming off that, my, my professional career hasn't quite quite lived up to what the amateur career was, but the, there's a lot of reasons for that, and um, a lot of which are in my control and some of which are not, and uh, it's, all, it's all coming together, and um, the most important part is we're having fun and, and making the best of it. Dude, that's awesome. You gave me goosebumps talking about all those awards. I got to know this question. We were talking earlier in the intro when we're talking with our patrons who sponsor our podcast about trophies and plaques and stuff like that. Where do you keep all those trophies and plaques that you just talked about from when the amateur nationals? You know, this is kind of funny. So uh, my dad lives about 100 yards from where I live now. Um, I live in what used to be my grandma's house, and my grandma passed away a few years ago. But when I was growing up, 
all my extra big trophies would end up going in my grandma's house because we, we ran out of room. <laughs> and um, I, after high school, I moved a couple hours away from home. And anyhow, uh, this house was sitting empty. Back in the beginning of 2020, I moved back um, home and ended up moving into what used to be my grandma's house. And all the trophies were still in here. So uh, in a roundabout way, they, they all came back to me. And um, yeah, we, we have them scattered everywhere, uh, to, to say the least. That's crazy. So I, I know you're number 223. You're number 23 for a little bit. Uh, is that a family number or is that just a number that you like? Um, so it traces way back to Kevin Atherton, but not directly by my choice. So when I was on a PW50 um, or, well, yeah. So when I was on a PW50, I ran one or two races on what was my PW50. But then Weimer Cycle is just down the road from us. So Kenny Weimer, Jack Weimer, they have a lot of history in flat track as well. And they had a couple of built PW50s that had little two-speed automatic transmissions on them and a big downpipe. And um, one of those had 220, or I'm sorry, not 223. It had 23 on it um, because uh, one of them was a fan of Kevin Atherton. It it ties back to Kevin Atherton in some way there. And... Mm -hmm. After one or two races, they decided to put me on one of those bikes. So I jumped on that bike and rode it with the numbers that were on it, 23. So then when the time came to buy a 65, it was like, well, let's just put a 23 on it. It just kind of stuck from there. So my entire amateur career, I raced number 23. I raced 23F when I turned turned professional back in 2013. Mm -hmm. And then um, when 2006, 17 i made a main event at lima uh that was when we were or yeah so i made a main event at lima and then the following year 23 was taken by the wizard himself so i ran number 66 to pay a little homage to a another ohio racer and um and then after that i came back to 223 dude that's great i love that story so so i gotta know this you just said you didn't like riding in the woods but your dad does have you tried anything have you raced anything or has it always been flat track yeah so i raced a little bit of i i tried quite a few things growing up and still ride a fair amount of motocross we have a few big motocross tracks here pretty close to home so that makes it easy but um yeah when i was growing up on on 50s on 65s i i did a few hair scrambles and I remember on the 85s, I was uh, I was like an hour into this hair scramble, and I, I was either in first or second, but pushing way too hard in the woods. And there was this narrow, long uh, stretch, and cruising down through there, like third gear on an 85, and my front wheel swapped on me, and oh. I tackled this tree, and it bent my <laughs> brake rotor and smashed the pipe. It bent my front brake rotor, so I was done, and like, I remember dragging this thing up out of the woods and thinking, never again. I, why? Why would anyone do this? Like, I just want to go race flat track. <laughs> no, no, no trees usually in flat track. That's for sure. Exactly. So, so you, you, exactly. you grew up in Ohio. A lot of cushion tracks over there. Um, tell me about your favorite racing memory as an amateur. Is it on a cushion track, or is it the amateur nationals, or do you have one one favorite memory as an amateur that st- stands out? Oh man, there's, I mean, there's a lot of good memories, a lot, a lot of good battles back from the, from the amateur national days and such. Um, 
you know, speaking, okay. So speaking of being a cushion guy, we'll, we'll take it way back. Um, when I was, I think I had just gotten on 65s and we went to a clay track or two and got, you know, didn't do too well. So that winter, my dad, uh, dad's like, you know, we're going to make, it's a lot of driving, but we're going to make a few trips over to DeCoin, Illinois for the indoor races. And I, I did okay, you know, for being an Ohio cushion guy, I would run mid pack. And I remember very well, I was on 65 and I got a pretty good start. Like I was running second or third against a bunch of modified 65s. And I was on a stock 65, which in the 65 world, that was a pretty big deal back then because the modified 65s had bigger wheels. So, and I'm, I'm overriding it on this little clay short track. And I end up going down like four or five laps in and sliding out. And, um, I, I jumped right back up, but when my dad saw me go down, he took off running to come to my aid and he actually slipped and fell and bruised his rib. So the medical personnel actually had to come help my dad instead of helping me who had fallen. So it's just kind of funny that that was kind of my childhood experience with clay is, um, a lot of very awkward, uh, awkward moments blowing the groove and shoot, even my dad, he had a hard time keeping the rubber side down. That that's, that's hilarious. I mean, it, it is, it is now you can look back on it, but, uh, so I grew up racing clay tracks. I, I don't like riding pea gravel and, and cushion tracks. Uh, you're, you're the opposite right now as far as growing up on pea gravel. So how does a professional motorcycle rider like you, or even an amateur rider, how do you go from holding it wide open, steering with the rear wheel to learning how to ride on a clay racetrack, learning throttle control? How, how do you learn that? Yeah. As far as learning it and in the moment, it's, it's very much so getting seat times in order to get comfortable and then just having a good support structure around you. That's this positive, encouraging, and yet pushing at the same time. You know, when I was, when I was an amateur growing up, my, my dad wanted to change stuff on the bike all the time. And, you know, there was a long time, especially there in my later years, my amateur career, it didn't matter. didn't matter what was going on. When I came off the track, we were changing something. And it was, it, you know, even if the bike was perfect, well then, Hey, let's try to predict how the track's going to change. And, and doing that really helped push me as a rider to, to understand what the bike was doing, understand what we were shooting for on that specific track, you know, whether it was clay or whether it was a cushion track and really helped kind of push me to, to be better and, and understand what was going on. So, so yeah, w when you're going to any kind of different track, I guess that's just my general thought process and advice is, is what can we change both you know, direct setup, but then also talking things through and, and focusing on what, what the rider can, can change and adjust in order to, to lay down a, a better lap time. So, you know, at the end of the day, like clay versus cushion is different, but it's not two completely different worlds. A good clay track rider usually has the ability to learn to be a good tr cushion track rider. And I, I think it's that constant pursuit of, of trying to be better that, that really makes the difference. Dude, I love that answer. That was a great answer. So you, you mentioned a moment ago that you, after high school, you left for a little while and, and went, you know, two hours away. Was that to go to college? Yeah. Yeah. So out of high school, you know, all the world fast, all the world, um, 
worldly pressures of of high school teachers telling you to go to college and family wanting you to go to college and all that. And I mean, out of high school, I signed up for college. And uh, looking back, you know, it, it's made me the man that I am. So, so no regrets. But I, I did not finish my degree. I probably never will finish my degree. And um, at the end of the day, it, it, it again, it's made me who I am. But uh, if I could do it all over again, I, I probably wouldn't wouldn't go to college. Okay, so just you're just going for like your basic studies and stuff like that, not to be a machinist. That that's already in the blood, right? Yeah. So uh, growing up in a machine shop and and starting a business was in the back of my head, you know, in the later years of high school and such. And and my dad's premise, I remember him us talking back then, and he's like, "Hey, why don't you go and be a mechanical engineer, and then you'll be an engineer, and I'll be a machinist, and we'll start a business together." And sounds good, uh, but at the end of the day, my dad and I, my dad's a great person. I, I very grateful, but my dad and I can't work together. And uh, we, we butt pretty hard when we butt heads pretty hard when we try to work together. So um, that idea ended up not panning out. So I was going for mechanical engineering. I got exactly halfway through um, credit wise for a bachelor's degree, but I, I had worked several, uh, co-ops and internships and, and pretty quickly concluded that I did not want to be an engineer. And, you know, the, the fundamental responsibilities of an engineer are awesome getting to, you know, design things and fix problems and such. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I was very involved with, with my running my racing program. You know, by the time I was 18, I was writing all the checks and building the bikes and all of that. And all of that excites me almost just as much as getting to line up on the starting line is, you know, getting to juggle all the balls um, at the same time. So, so I would work these internships as an engineer and, you know, it's kind of like, this is it, you know, it's, it's cool to play on SolidWorks to, you know, to play with 3D modeling and stuff, but I want to run a business. I want to do more. So um, ultimately, I ended up uh, going through a trade school for machining in order to get that resume credential to be able to get the, the kind of job that I wanted and, and set off to work as a machinist. And then just a couple years later, I, I have my own business rocking and rolling. Dude, <laughs> like I said a moment ago, that's amazing. So you have your own shop, and that's what you do full time. Is that is that right? Yeah. So uh, I guess to to take it on back again, um, back in the early seventies, my grandpa bought this piece of property. It's thirteen and some acres. Um, it's got a few houses on it, and then a big pole barn. And back in the year of two thousand, my dad started a machine shop in this pole barn, and uh, over the years, he was off and on from being self-employed himself. And um, in 2019, I was still living up in Akron and working as a machinist and had all my plans together to, to start a shop up there. Sorry about that. My dogs are wrestling in the background here. We can cut this part out and I can try to quiet them down a little bit, you dork. All right. So back in 2019, um, I was working as a machinist in Akron and had a good job and was learning a lot. And I, I had plans to, to start a shop up in Akron. And, and in 2019, or I'm sorry, at the beginning, my dad was self-employed, but then ultimately he went out and got a, got a real job and his shop was sitting empty. And it was, um, you know, my dad was 
offering, uh, hey, you come down and use my shop and you pay the bills and it's all yours kind of thing and do whatever you like. And I, I was kind of hesitant about the idea at first, but honestly, an awesome job opportunity came along um, close to my dad's house that I ended up taking a full-time job down here and it all lined up. And I thought, I mean, <laughs> at the beginning of 2020, when I moved down here, um, on a, my girlfriend and I's little New Year's resolution goals that we wrote down, I, I wrote that my goal was to make $10,000 in my first year of business. And it blew up way faster than that. It blew up faster than I could have imagined. I mean, there were single weekends last year that, that we delivered more than $10,000 in sales. So um, ultimately, I, I thought this was just going to be like a little side hustle for, for four or five years, but it, it blew and so last November, I resigned from my full-time job and became fully self-employed. And so it's now been a little less than a year. And uh, my girlfriend is also full-time in the business. We have two part-time employees. And by the end of this month, we're going to be offering one of them a full-time job. So things have been good. We're rocking and rolling. Um, right now, my dad and his friend are are down by by my shop right now down by our shop and uh, moving some dirt and we plan to do a shop ad on this fall so things have been things have been good that is amazing so it's all under the lowry racing uh, umbrella that's 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 your business right lowry racing yes so 90 95 percent of our business is flat track motorcycle racing parts and the vast majority of that is wheels so as we as we grow here, I, I do plan to diversify a little bit, just uh, because our our economy is not going to be rock solid for forever. So we'll, we are going to diversify and do some other machine work here. But uh, right now we're all flat track, and and um, to to any of the naysayers out there that think that flat track is dying, uh, none of them have seen our sales numbers, and and anyone that sees our, our sales numbers would agree that flat track is alive and well. So, so I'm I've been very impressed with the whole flat track community, and and there's there's a lot of guys with flat track bikes out there, a lot more than I think a lot of people would expect. Yeah, they're, they're they're all over the place. It's just some sometimes they're hidden away in a barn, and then all of a sudden they show up, and somebody will race for a little while, and then they disappear again. So it's it's a sport that comes back out of hiding and and gets bigger and gets smaller and gets bigger. But there's all kinds, you know, there's all kinds. And we got we got to keep them from being hidden though. So uh, you you mentioned the wheels. You got bolt-on weights for the wheels. You make your own hubs. Uh, not too long ago, there was a new rule that came out for the race-built uh, bikes only for the rear wheel. Where were you at when that rule came out, and did your phone just blow up when that happened? <laughs> well, fortunately, um, it only applied to the the race-only engines, which is only a handful of our customers in the grand scheme of things. So, so yes, my 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 phone was ringing. Um, my phone was ringing pre pretty pretty quickly there, but um, it, it was only. Only a handful uh, of people that that had real urgent needs uh, to get things dialed in, to get things fixed. You know, a lot of the bigger teams have have such large piles of wheels that it didn't affect them too much. But but some of the smaller teams were were helping get straightened around. And yeah, I mean, uh, American Flat Track changes a lot of rules and. Um, <laughs> 
a lot of them have been in our favor here lately. You know, the the 2020 rule book, or I'm sorry, 2021 rule book says that says that next year's tubes will not be allowed. So so that certainly creates a large demand for for our wheels. And then um, last year, as you had mentioned, we we, we offer a bolt on weight assembly. And last year, I, I took that to American Flat Track at the the last race of of the year, and they they put it in the rule book this year that uh, bolt on weight assemblies are are allowed for approved only. And to the best of my knowledge, we are the only approved design. So, so yeah, American Flat Track likes changing rules, and and so far, a lot of them have been in our favor. And and as a racer myself, I I can relate with the with the other racers out there and we we do our best to to make the best of the situation and and provide the the most value at the best price possible that's awesome with with, without giving away any secrets i mean i don't i don't expect you to do that but i've noticed you have a a couple of different colored wheels and do you make all the wheels out of the same material i guess is where i'm going with that i don't i don't want i don't expect you to divulge everything but do you make the same uh you make the wheels out of the same material for everybody and just make, you know, cut out different sizes out of, you know, to make the spokes bigger. I'm kind of just lost. So kind of walk me through that. And how do you figure out how much wheel each, you know, how much, how much each wheel is going to weigh? Yeah, no problem. And I mean, we, we don't hardly have any secrets to share. So are too high. I'm sorry. We don't have any secrets to hide. Um, in the machining world, what we're doing is really not, not rocket science uh i often tell people that that we didn't reinvent the wheel we're just serving an underserved market so we start with uh rotary forged wheel blanks uh they're made in california and then um we set them up in our cnc machines to cut different patterns into them and um all of our products are designed and programmed in a computer program called fusion 360 where we're able to make 3d models of exactly what we're going to exactly what we're trying to make and with that we can very precisely predict the the weight of the final product and um get things dialed in just the way just the way we want them to be so that it's not a not a guessing game well that 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 sounds amazing so do you take the extra materials out and can you reuse any of that stuff or is that all just garbage or it goes scrap pile or can you melt that down and start over you know for other products yeah, so um, we call those chips, the, or the the metal shavings, the the metal chips, and we actually just take them to our local junkyard. So, what is it? It's local scrap, or the scrap at our local junkyard is like two hundred dollars a ton, or something like that. So, in the grand scheme of things, it's a it's a very small amount of money, uh, small return for for the the material cost and, and what we're making. But yeah, those get those. Uh, get taken to the junkyard and they they recycle them to to go through the whole process and ultimately get turned into something else so um, and then all of our products are anodized uh, so anodize is a uh, how do I describe this it's a it's like an electroplating hard coat system there's probably some anodized expert out there cringing right now but essentially you <laughs> To, to put it in layman's terms, you put your part in uh, acid and then run electricity through it, and it builds up like a very small cellular structure on it. And then you can dump your metal into different colored dyes, and it like 
imagine a very small fine honeycomb and then the dye fills in the honeycomb and then you seal it off so um, it's anodized is very good for high precision parts such as our hubs and such that have very tight fits um, so all of our products are anodized and that's where the different colors come from and honestly anodized has been one of our biggest holdups so far it's it's really it's not that expensive but finding someone that can turn around quickly and reliably is is pretty difficult so that is our number one priority after we add on to our shop uh, this fall is to to insource anodize so so that that'll be something that you're trying to hopefully do in house soon yes yep hopefully by the end of this year we'll be anodizing our first products and um the, it, that's going to help a lot with our turnaround time because like we when we have the material sitting on the on the shelf when we get an order it's it doesn't take us that long to to machine the order, but uh, our anodizer is clear over on the other side of Pennsylvania, and it can take them two, three, sometimes four weeks to get a part back to me. Uh, when when someone calls and says they need a part for this weekend, um, right now we can't do that and have it anodized, which is what a lot of the customers want. So, so having those capabilities in our shop will be – uh, hugely beneficial when it comes to uh, being able to turn orders around quickly. I want to talk about your girlfriend real quick because you you mentioned her a little while ago. She's she works in the shop with you. She's also racing on the Royal Enfield Build Train Race Program. She's number three twenty seven. Gabby Hughes. How how much racing experience does she have? I know, I I know she's just learning on these bigger half miles. But how much racing experience does she have? Not a lot. So. Uh, her dad raced motocross, so she's been around dirt bikes for her most of her life. And um, the beginning of last year, uh, we got a 150 for a CRF 150. So she was running some local Mad Dog classes and such. And then um, huge shout out to Sarah Dixon for really helping pull that whole situation together. Because at the beginning of this year, Sarah had just got her bike and we went down to get measurements on the bike for making wheels and, and some other parts for it. And Gabrielle ended up getting her, uh, breeze contact information through Sarah and reached out and it, it all came together. Um, so yeah, that's been, that's been an awesome program. She, uh, like me this year, hasn't, hasn't got quite as much seat time as what we were originally hoping for, but, uh, it's still been fun, and she's gotten a lot better so far. Do you think she'll do better at the short track coming up at Wheatsport? Yeah, and I I think that just in general she's she's going to be going to be getting better as far as in Chicago. Um, Chicago was her very first time riding anything that heavy, so she threw her leg over that and felt felt pretty uncomfortable at first as most people would you know being used to riding a 150 and then getting on uh one of those 650s so she was like third place most of the day but then ended up sliding out and low siding and by the end of the by the end of the race day she was she was back up there had the speed to run back up front but still very green when it comes to racing around other people and knowing what to expect so we're trying to get her some seat time at some local races and get her comfortable and um yeah i think that she'll do better in new york this next weekend but even if new york was a half mile i think that she, you'll uh, you'll continue to see improvements 
I feel like we haven't even touched on your pro career at all, but you're such a cool dude and you got so many interesting things to talk, you know, to talk through and talk about outside of racing that I spent a lot of the time talking about, you know, the LowryRacing.com, your business and stuff like that. Some, some, some keynotes to talk about uh, your pro career. You went pro in 2013, uh, 2014, you finished the season with, with five top tens, you know, two top fives and a podium at the Colonial Downs. 2015, you made 11 main events and, and uh, best finish was Springfield Mile of Sixth. 2016 GNC2, ninth in the point standings, two podiums, Sacramento and Springfield Mile. 2017 is my question. I guess you moved to the premier class, only made the main at Lima. Did you just not run all the races, or is it just moving up to that that premier class? Was it just that difficult for you? Yeah, I mean, a little bit of both. We ran a handful of races that year, and uh, there were there were quite a few that we were really close to making the main event, but Lima was the only one that we were able to get it done that year, and um yeah <laughs> i I, okay. I guess i don't have i'm trying i'm trying to think back to to 2017 and what all that entailed and in a, in a short way yeah that sums it up okay in 2018 we ran a handful of races but ended up coming up a just a little bit short on making any of the main events and um i remember 2018 we were we were really battling the sound rule that year that that was uh relatively new still the and our, our Kawasaki rips with loud pipes on it, but we were having some challenges getting any power out of it with, with quiet pipes on it. So with everything going on, I was, I was living a couple hours away from my bikes and um, there, there was a lot of other things going on in life and we were having fun and still running some local races. But when it comes to the premier class, we did, we did not make any main events in 2018. All right, that makes sense. Let's let's move ahead to 2021. Currently 14th in the point standings in the production twins class, a 13th and a 9th at Oklahoma City Mile, a 10th at Lima. I know you're not happy with that. 12th at Port Royal. Uh, what what classes are? I'm sorry. What races are you looking for racing the rest of the season for AFT? Yeah. So 2021 has been the year that we're just kind of getting our feet back wet again. At the beginning of 2020, I I thought I was done racing. Um, I had just started the business, and uh, I thought, you know, that was going to be that was going to be that for my professional career. But uh, who is my mechanic now, Kevin? Uh, we really started working together more in the beginning of 2020, and he ended up taking both my 450 and my twin, and he rebuilt the top end of the engines, got them back together, got them up to par, and. We went to a couple of local races in 2020 and really did a lot better than what we were expecting to. We, there were a couple of races that we showed up to that we, we thought that we were going to, you know, hopefully be competing for the win, but then ended up running away from the competition. So 2020, we were kind of taking a step back and our, our agreement in 2020 was that if things came together, that I could be full-time in the business, that uh, in 2021, we would go ahead and get our American flat track license. So we come out in 2021 and show up at, at Oklahoma thinking that we have our stuff together and, um, ended up having bike problems pretty early on. We were, we were burning the electrodes off spark plugs. We, we think that the bike was pre-detonating, um, and then ended up losing a rod bearing, um, out there in, 
in Oklahoma. Uh, big thanks to Jim Turchella for letting me borrow his backup bike. We rode that, but then ended up getting a DNF on that as well. So both of those finishes in Oklahoma were both DNFs because of mechanicals. And then um, in Lima, we borrowed a, a friend's bike, Dennis Jeffries, has a has a Yamaha and I really appreciate the opportunity and I love the way that bike handles uh, but it is a stock engine Yamaha so she's no rocket ship um, so <laughs> Lima before the red flag we had an eighth place finish sewed up and after the after the red flag um, we got back in the spray and uh, ended up getting pushed back there to tenth, but overall we were really happy with the day considering what we had to work with. And um, uh, at Port Royal, uh, I thought we were going to be better than twelfth place after qualifying. Uh, I think we were seventh overall in qualifying, and we ended up making some changes uh, in the wrong direction before the main event. But uh, I was riding that Yamaha again, which I I will be riding in New York thanks to Dennis. Um, but we're trying to get some stuff figured out on my Cowie to, to get it to be a little bit more reliable and uh, make a little bit more power with this, this new lower octane spec fuel. Well, I'm sorry. It, it's not new, new spec fuel in 2021. It was run in 2020 as well, but we sat 2020 out. So uh, with, with high octane fuel, my Kawasaki runs pretty well, but the lower octane stuff, it does not like. So we're, we're trying to get something figured out with that uh, before Springfield uh, so I'm looking forward to, to getting everything back together to to go to go run at Springfield. But honestly, this year uh, I've uh, we're certainly going to show up and race to win. But uh, I'm kind of just writing this year off as as just kind of getting back into it, just getting our feet wet. You know, there from 2016 through 2020, really we had. I had so many going on that racing was on the back burner in a lot of ways, you know, there at any given time, I was taking college classes, working a part-time job, living with my girlfriend, doing all the bike work myself while oftentimes not living anywhere close to my bike. So racing was always just kind of the back thing that I, that I always wanted to be there, had a lot of fun with, but, you know, trying to compete with the guys at the top level, it's, it's, it's hard to be out front when it's not your main focus. So this year we are are getting our feet wet, and I think this winter we'll be in a lot better position to put together a stronger program, and especially because right now our shop is not very big. We only have about 1,200 square feet, and um, my mechanic Kevin's uh, shop is, is not very big either. We're, we were pinched on space, so once we have a shop add-on, we're going to have more room for the bikes to – to get things figured out, get things dialed in. And um, really for, for the first time in a long time, uh, I'm able to sit back and look at this as, as very early in my racing career and not, not very late in my racing career. You know, before it was always, well, I'm going to do this another year or two, still having fun, but you know, we'll see, we'll see how it shakes out kind of attitude and, uh, this year, we definitely have a building mindset. I, I don't think that I've forgotten how to ride. It's just a matter of putting things together with a, both a, a, a good bike and then B, a, a rider that is in good physical condition and, and has been riding, has been training. So, so 
So the business is scaling up to be more sustainable and, and financially, uh, we have more resources now than, than we ever had before. So things are coming together and, uh, we're, we're going to keep having fun with it, but I, I think we're, we're going to have our stuff together better for next year and, and, and onward and upward from here. Well, let's talk about two non-national races that, that I announced you at recently and both have uh, kind of funny stories. You can look at them now and call them funny, but let's go back to Ashland uh, main event right up the start. You tangled up with, with uh, Ziggler and another guy. It looked like a, a train wreck right off the bat, but you guys, some of you got going Ziggler. His night was all done. Tell me what happened because all of a sudden you were at the back of the pack. Then all of a sudden you were catching Trent Lowe for the win. So walk me through that one. Yeah. So in the heat race, uh, we weren't quite on pace where I thought we should be. Um, we had a couple bike adjustments to make. We put a fresh tire on, got my head right before the main event. I lined up on that main event starting line, I mean, with full confidence that we're we're about to compete for the win. We're, we're going for it kind of attitude. And uh, take off off the starting line, and it was like bumper cars. And, I, I mean, there was two different times going before turn one that, I had that gut feeling of I'm about to hit the ground. It was, it was pretty, pretty crazy going into turn one. Um, and then going down the back straightaway, I get a pretty good run and send it into turn three. And uh, when I go for the brake, there's nothing there. Uh, my, my entire brake pedal was ripped off, ripped off the bike. So it was just kind of a shock at first, you know, I'm a big visual. I'm a big believer in visualization. That before the main event, you know, before any race, you should you should run through the different scenarios in your head to be mentally prepared to be on your game. And out of all of those that I've never that I've ever done, I have never planned on losing my brakes completely on the first lap. So it was kind of a a, a shock to me. And uh, at first, the first couple laps, I wasn't quite sure how to ride it, trying to get settled in. You know. On a track like that, you don't use a lot of brakes, but you use a little bit getting in, and then you kind of get back into the gas before you let off the brake to, to keep the bike set up. And without having that on, on a fairly rough track, I was kind of getting bounced around quite a bit. And so I, once I started to settle in, I, I started going in a little bit higher and uh, higher and higher uh, up in the deeper cushion. I was able to get the bike set up and get it slowed down a little bit more efficiently. So I was running the high line and really put on a charge there. And man, once I got settled in there after a couple laps, Trent had probably probably a straightaway on me. And by the end of the race, it was a little bit less than a half straightaway. We were we were definitely coming. We were charging hard, but I was definitely bummed because um, I thought thought that was our race there uh, before we before we lost the brakes. So, but I mean that's it's all part of the fun and all part of the challenge, right? Yeah, absolutely, and it's the second. Let's talk about last weekend, the second race in a row with no rear brakes. So we go to Lower City, Ohio. You and you and Trent had an excellent battle going on the dash or cash. I think he got you by about six or seven inches across the line, so he won the dash. But walk us through what happened in the main event for for Lower City. Yeah, so kind of similar situation where, but in the heat race we were a little bit off pace. We come out. Same, you know, same rider we're chasing in the main event, or I'm sorry, first in the dash, we take off in the dash for cash, and I think I pulled the whole shot, and we swapped once or twice there pretty early in the race, and I, I thought it was mine, and coming onto the back straightaway, and 
you can kind of see it in the GoPro footage, but you don't quite get the get the same perspective uh, as when you're riding it. In that dash for cash, uh, coming up onto the back straightaway, I, I went wide and my front wheel hit the berm, like coming up onto the back straightaway. And I pulled a, like the front wheel came off the ground in a very unplanned and unbalanced kind of way. So I kind of fell down towards the inside of the straightaway, turned right halfway down the straightaway. And then when I whipped it back to the left, I, I missed my mark a little bit. and I, I, I was a little bit wider than I planned to be and had been going into going into turn three on the last lap of that dash for cash. And um, for anyone that was there, that, there was not room on that track to be wider. It, it was a it was a very <laughs> narrow racetrack, and um, there in the middle of turn three and four, uh, Trent came up under me, and I was able to kind of square him off late in the corner, and uh, I was so close coming to that start and finish line, and came up just just barely came up second place. So we made a few more adjustments for the main, ready to go, and I I got a decent start in the main, but Trent beat me off the line and. Trent had a little bit of a lead on me, but I remember it was a longer race. It was 12 or 15 laps, and I was getting settled in and thinking, you know, okay, still plenty of time. I, I was looking. I was thinking. I was planning. You know, we're going we're gonna to run him down. We still have a lot of laps to go. It's two or three laps into the race, and the, the track in the main event was quite a bit rougher than it was earlier in the day. It was starting to break up, and going into turn one lap, my, my left toe caught and it wasn't that dramatic of a catch on most tracks it just it there was no room for mistakes on that track it was because of how narrow it was so i i ended up going a little bit wide and uh bouncing off the hay bales and when i bounced off the hay bales i i felt my my rear brake was dragging just a little bit and i i looked down and my rear brake pedal was like swung clear underneath my right peg so i was like kicking at it going down the back straight away and then still even after that it, it freed up but um i did not have any kind of realistic efficient use of my brake pedal so so i backed <laughs> off and, and trent got the win on that one but yeah two two outlaw races in a row i i ended up with no brakes so it was man i guess that's why they call it racing and not just winning right that's right. And and I just I pre appreciated you on the podium at both races for explaining to the fans what had happened. And I just wanted you to tell the fans that weren't at those races exactly what was going on, because I, I really expected you to be up there battling for the win. And you, and at Ashland, you actually tracked him down with no rear brake, which he which is even more impressive. So I know I know you're a great rider. I know you, you're going through a, a learning year, like you said, but uh, I can't wait to see you on top at the pro level. Um, we, we appreciate you coming on the podcast. We've been wanting to have you on for a little while. And when I texted Graham, which I don't know if you listen to the podcast, but that's my grandma and she listens to every podcast and she loves all you writers. She was so excited to hear from you because she said it's unusual for a young person like you to be so motivated and successful in your own business and still racing. She is very impressed with you. Um, she said it's either racing or business for most people, but you're still doing both. So what she wants to know is, where does that drive come from? Wow, that's a that's a tough psychological question there. The 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 origins of motivation and and I don't 
I mean, the short answer is I don't know on a personal level. You know, that's a whole nature versus nurture that's for a different podcast. But I will say, you know, at the beginning of last year, like I was saying, I thought I was done racing. And, um, you know, I was ready to go all in on on just the business side of life. And uh, I was fortunately surprised at how well things went and, and then really excited when I saw the whole opportunity for it all to come together. And, and I'm really excited for the future because I see such a sustainable mix between the two, you know, a a big part of the success of our business is that I'm able to talk to our customers about the nuts and bolts on their bikes, about the track specifics and what rear wheel should work where, and you know, so on and so forth that I, a lot of our competitors can't do. So with that being said, I plan to keep racing and uh, I, uh, you know, I'm inspired by the by the older guys out there racing, and and I want to be that someday. So uh, I'm I'm gonna keep racing. I'm here for the long run, and I have big business plans, big business goals. So they're going to they're going to continue to work together, and I'm excited for what the future holds. Like I said, almost every answer you're blowing me away right now, Jeffrey. And, and I, again, I appreciate the time. We wrap up our, our podcast with some rapid fire questions. So the next few questions I ask, tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Yes, go for it. What, what's your favorite bike you've ever ridden? Oh, I have to go with my JM Kawasaki, not just because it's not that it's the best bike ever, but I have so much seat time on that. And it's just my favorite go-to twin fun, hard riding bike. What's your favorite racetrack? Uh, I got to go Circleville, Ohio. Okay. Why is that? I've never been there. Tell me why. All right. Well, it's an awesome Ohio cushion half mile. Uh, not that it's significantly better than any others, but I raced it on a PW 50. I raced it on, every size bike growing up uh i've been to that track a lot of times had a lot of really good races there a lot of fond memories so just all together i have to say circleville ohio okay favorite flat tracker of all time oh oh i don't know if i have a real direct answer for that um you know i might catch some i might catch some hate over this but I'm going to have to say Jared Meese, and a lot of that comes back to the respect for the businessman that he is as well. That's great. That's a great answer. Um, I asked you earlier, what was your favorite amateur moment? So I'm going to ask you this one. It's it's more vague maybe, but what's your favorite flat track moment? Favorite flat track moment? Um... Man, we've I've had a lot of good races over the years, and a lot of those jump out. But just overall, like like I said before, and I'll say it again, like the exciting part for me is getting to bring the whole package together. You know, when someone says like, "Oh, you know, yeah, Jeffrey, you only won that race because you were motoring the guy," you know, I get to kind of sit back and laugh. It's like, yeah, but I built the motor, so that's okay. So <laughs> my my. <laughs> My favorite part is bringing everything together. So, so the moment that came to mind was a few years ago. I think it was 2018. Might have been 17, but I think it was 18. Um, Steve Nace Racing All-Star Series. It was a, an all-star race on a Saturday, and then another one on a Wednesday, and then another one the following Saturday. And 
you know, we were able to show up and compete for the wins at these races and, um, they pay pretty well. So I was really looking forward to them. And on that Wednesday race was in Carrollton, Ohio. And I remember they, they had a dash for cash and coming to the checkered flag on the dash for cash, the transmission in my Kawasaki let go. Uh, one of the, one of the gears literally just let go and broke into like three or four pieces. So here I am with a down motorcycle, missed the motor, missed the main event that Wednesday night. But then there was a race Saturday in Ashland that I was really looking forward to. And so we drove home Wednesday night. I stayed up all Wednesday night and between Thursday and Friday, rebuilt that entire thing from the bottom up. Uh, fortunately we had the parts to do so and show up at Ashland tired, but fully ready to, to compete for the win. And I think I got like third place in the heat race and, um, go out for the main event and win the main event. And then they threw up at the last second, they threw up a dash for cash. And, um, that was after the mains and I was able to go win that too. So that just sticks out as a very fond, uh, memory in, in my mind that, you know, when the, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. And that was one instance that we were really able to get it done as far as bringing that whole package together, rebuilding the entire engine in two days and then uh, showing up and, and racing, racing for the win. Made it, made it so important. So worthwhile. Um, this one's a little different. We don't, we never asked this one before cause it's unique to you, but what's the favorite thing you've ever designed or fabricated or made at, at, in, in the machine shop? Oh, yeah. So, you know, the wheels are, the wheels are cool. The wheels are fun. Um, when it comes to, there's a, there's a whole different element that I've been introduced to in the flat, in flat track over these last couple of years. You know, I've, I've been in American flat track pits for quite a few years now, going back to 2013, but things really changed last year and, you know, continued this year to where, now I'm not just in the pits, but most people in the pits want to talk to me. So it's, it's been really fun and getting to see the wheels is cool. Um, but when it comes to a, uh, when it comes to a machining side of things, the, the most fun part that I've made so far is the left side cover on Johnny Lewis's Royal infield. It is a rather intricate three-dimensional part. Uh, makes his Royal Enfields work as a remote start. Um, and then the whole left side cover gives some extra ground clearance. And it was just a, a really cool part that was rather difficult to program, but a lot of fun and um, really cool to, to kind of push the limits of, of my programming abilities and the, the machine's capabilities. And just to bring that all together for a cool, pretty big part, well, I would have to say, say that, that side cover on Johnny Lewis's bike. Tell, tell me you made more than one, just in case that thing breaks. He's got to have a, a backup, right? Did you make more than one of those? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we, we've, made, we've made a good handful for them. And um, we, we actually, we have one made for Gabrielle's Royal Enfield as well. It, it has not been, not been installed and set up yet. But, um, yep, uh, we've, we've made a good handful of them, and, and I hope to make more in the future. Very, very cool. So here, here's a here's a tough one for some people, but you're very you're very educated, you're very up to what's going on. But it doesn't matter which class. But who is the next first time champion in AFT? 
Oh, next first time champion. That's tough. I mean, this year I feel like uh, Max Whale. Max Whale is on fire. Um, I I would, you, you know, it's kind of funny. I'll, I'll share when the coin got rained out. Um, the the campgrounds were were a happening place that that night. What would have been the night before the race, and I I had consumed some adult beverages and was traveling around networking in the campgrounds and uh saw max and i threw my arm around him and said you know max when you first started coming over here you know uh a few years ago now what's it been four or five years you know at first us americans are going to root for other americans you know we don't want to come over here and make us look like we're slow so you know at first we were rooting kind of against you you know, he came over and had some respectable showing, but for the most part was, was mid-pack, and, and he's consistently gotten better every year. And I told him, I said, you know, now we're rooting for you because it goes to show the potential for improvement. It goes to show how much hard work that he's put in to get that much better. And now, so to answer your question of who the next champion is going to be, on a directly statistical basis, I think it's probably going to be Max Whale. And I am rooting for Max Whale over these last few years. I got one more question and then your sponsors list here too. So last question, rapid fire. What are you most proud of? Yeah. Um, the, the business and the team and everything, the, the, the direction that everything is going uh, the the American dream is alive and well, and and we're we're doing our best to prove that to be true. So yeah, I just have to give a huge thank you to to our whole team that makes this possible. You know, my dad's not directly involved with any of the business workings right now um, when it comes to running production and stuff, but he's down there running an excavator right now, moving dirt. He's still directly involved in, in helping out and in. Uh, anytime a machine breaks, he's the first one to, to go check it out and so on and so forth. So I'm, I'm grateful for my dad. I'm grateful for for my girlfriend, Gabrielle, for everything that she's doing. I'm grateful for my mechanic, Kevin. Uh, he's he's come a long way in the last couple of years. He just started racing flat track, and he's getting faster, and he's becoming a, a mechanic, and, and I'm definitely glad to have him on the team. And um, Cody and Neil are our other two guys that are helping. So the whole team that makes everything possible, you know, it's definitely not a, not a one man show. Um, and then I just have to give a huge thank you to, to Dennis Jeffries for, for giving me the bike to ride this year. You know, I'd be sitting out a lot more American flat track races if it wasn't for him. So, so thanks to Dennis. And then just the guys that have been with me from day one, the, the gray hogs, uh, a local motorcycle group that, that travels to my races. Thanks to those guys and Weimer cycle. They've been with me. Uh, like I said, back earlier on the podcast, they were my first sponsored ride when I was like five or six years old. So big thanks to Weimer cycle and just everyone else who, who makes this possible. And thank you for, for you, for, for having this podcast, having me on and, and doing all that you do to, to promote the sport and, and make the world a better place. Jeffrey, it's been an honor. You're, you're, you're an awesome, awesome guy. And it was great getting to know more of your backstory and more, more about your racing wheels. 
And we appreciate you stopping by the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. I certainly appreciate it. And take care out there. Uh, anyone that's listening can, can find us at Lowry Racing on Instagram or Facebook. And as of just a couple of weeks ago, we have a website live, uh, LowryRacing.com. You can find our, our wheel product line on there. And uh, as we move forward and expand into triple clamps and, and, and other things as well, and they're all going to be on the website. So thank you all for listening and take care out there. That was really good. Wow. You see what I did there? Is that, a, is, that a, is that a pun? Is that what that is? You've never heard that before. Have you heard that joke? Really good. Because, because no. like it's like really, but because we were I talking about wheels day. with Jeffrey. I know. What I'm saying is that a pun? Yeah. Is that what that is? Yeah. So it's a punny but, joke. But it's a great. Ah, ah, I've never ah, heard that one either. Ah, ah. You one upped my cheesy pun with a better cheesy pun, <laughs> and you have won. That's funny. Let's get back to this interview. It was good stuff, dude. I, I did. I didn't know a ton about this guy. Um, but what a cool interview. I dig. I like the way he talks. He's very smart. He, uh, I like how he's kind of picking and choosing where he wants to go racing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's had a long career. I mean, he went pro back in 2013, so he's been pro for eight years. Uh, he's very intelligent. I've been saying his name for a long, long time, and, and uh, man, it's cool to get him on the show and hear his story. Well, anybody that can run a, a business and a full-time race program has got to be an insane person, uh, one, but uh, insane in a good way, of course. Uh, but work ethic is, is top-notch for sure to be able to pull both of those off and be uh, even somewhat successful in, in either one of them. And he seems to be doing pretty Absolutely. well in both. So, Absolutely. Be- before we sign off, yes. we got just a couple minutes left here. Where are you headed tomorrow? You got to tell us what's I going on tell real you. quick. It's top secret. Can't tell you. Oh my God! I thought you were going to tell us. And I'm already heading. I'm already. Well, when you hear this, I'll probably be heading that way. I'm heading up north to the Pacific North. Or no, I did that last the last couple. I wow. head north to the northeastern part of the United States. There's a there's a decent amount of racing going on up there this weekend, and uh, I'm gonna go take some of it in. There's a lot going on actually. So one that you're gonna miss though is the uh, Gary Nixon Memorial Race. That's in Timonium. But then you're headed to New York. Yes. I'm going to miss it. To catch two other. But somebody else might be there from left out. So we might be sending Pop, some content. Papa, Papa Sammy? Papa Sammy. Papa Sammy. And Papa? I don't know Papa if little Sammy. little Carlo Dubler's going yet or not, but... No, it's it's little Scotty. Oh, little Scotty. Saavedra. Little Scotty. Little Scotty, Scotty, little Scotty Saavedra. Sorry. Sorry. There you go. Yeah. Get, it, get it straight. So, Man, I, I hope not. I can't afford any more child support, okay? I just can't. I'm, uh, I'm trying to talk Sammy Ooh. into coming up. I don't know how successful I'm going to be. He's super busy. I can't. I feel bad even trying to get him to come up there to uh, Square Deal or uh, or Medina. But both of those races are going on Saturday and Sunday. Square Deal Saturday. And that's that's two tracks I've never been to. So Ditto. good luck with that. I'm glad you're going. I'm going to enjoy my weekend off and then uh, get set to go. I still, uh, still got a lot of racing going on. We got doubleheader next weekend up there in New York, Weedsport, New York. And we'll see up there in New York sometime. We'll, we'll cross paths somewhere, right? I'm, uh, yeah, I'm going to hang out. There's a, there's a bunch of stuff up there to do. And there's a bunch of stuff to do up there in uh, upstate New York. So I'm going to spend uh, the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then head to uh, Unadilla. Wait, I might head to Weedsport before Unadilla. Uh, but it's all right there, you know, upstate New York. Hopefully, hopefully we'll catch up to you on Thursday. We might do the show live next we're, week. We're, we're talking like, about see. it. I don't know how that's going to go. We're, we're trying to... 
we're trying to figure out what we're doing next week. So yeah, I, I won't be here obviously to be able to put it all together like I usually do. So right. um, we might right. try a little something outside the box, see if it works. But right. uh, stick with Sounds us. Good. Thanks to all our patrons. Thanks to all of our listeners. Smash that like button. Tell all your friends, and uh, we'll catch you next week from New York. Peace. See ya. Later.